up world. Pascar's point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond, you are listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is also another edition of Mailbag Monday, answering listener-submitted questions all episode long. If you want to get involved in Mailbag Monday, there's two ways to do it. The first is just tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. You can send me a question whenever you are thinking of one, or you can wait till Monday mornings around 9 a.m. Pacific time. When I send out a tweet soliciting questions, you respond there, you get in the show. It's as simple as that. If you are not a Twitter user, you can still get involved in the show by emailing me at LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Great way to write a little bit more, introduce yourself, or just not tweet. That's how Mailbag Monday works. Locked on Blazers coming at you at least thrice weekly. One of them is always a mailbag episode. So let's get into it. Logan Gillis, at Logan Gillis on Twitter, asks, What's up with Hassan? Adam Nakamura, at Adam Naka 28 asks, I need an honest answer. Is it just me, or does Hassan not look that motivated off the bench? I try to think the best, but he has some really bad turnovers, and overall just doesn't seem to care that much. Matthew, at Revan Romulus on Twitter, asks, Is Whiteside playing poorly the last couple of games, or is this just a reflection of low minutes? Does this production, or lack thereof, make him less desirable to bring back next year? Hamilton from Gmail asks, do you think Hassan Whiteside will bounce back? Y'all, everybody is concerned about Hassan Whiteside. In the past, last week, as recently as last week, this time last week, everyone was concerned about Mario Hazonia. We have now shifted our concern. The Lockdown Blazers consensus is the new person to be concerned about is Hassan Whiteside. And folks, dear listeners, I got to agree with y'all. Hassan does not look good. He looks, the word I would use, is bad. Uh, He's coming off the bench. He's playing 16 and a half minutes a night. And so far his averages, he's averaging six points per game, four and a half rebounds, and a block in two games. He's still making his shots, doing what he does. 71% from the field. The guy just, he, he knows where he can score from. He actually hit a nice little fadeaway in the first game. But you watch him, he doesn't look good. Um, I speculated that maybe he's maybe it's a, a left leg thing. He was he was dealing with a calf and Achilles issue that kept him out of one of the uh, of the scrimmage games, and maybe he's still dealing with that because he just doesn't look good. I have been on this podcast really consistently down on Hassan. Um, I think you know he just I'm just not a big fan of his game. Um, I think I guess my my specific criticism of him is that he never does things that are good that don't have a statistic. And by that, I mean, he never he very rarely makes a play that doesn't involve something that goes into the box score. He's the reverse of doing things that don't show up in the box score. Everything he does shows up in the box score and he just doesn't do stuff that he doesn't do the invisible little things. And I think it's. I think there's a lot going on and there's probably stuff. I'm not around the team enough. When you, when you go into the locker room, you know, I've covered the team for six seasons. Uh, and when you're up close like that, you can kind of get a better sense of like, are other guys mad at, at Hassan? What is the, what are the ways that when you ask players about, about him, how do they respond? What's their body language like? What's his body language like? What's Terry Stotts like? Uh, you get all those things. In this situation, I'm not around the team, so I don't have, I don't feel like I have as good of a grasp on it as maybe I would in other situations. But I do kind of think that Adam and Matthew have it 
in the way I think about it. Um, I don't think it's lack of motivation, but I do think he's a guy who has been criticized for not always playing with that consistent high motor and maybe a switch role has, has, hasn't translated him to having that motor revved up all the way off the bench. I also think the limited minutes means that he has less time to, um, to kind of get into the game. And also the dude playing behind him, Yusuf Nurkic is, is one of the Blazers best players. So if Hassan has a couple bad minutes, he's getting yanked. They'll just go back to Nurk. He's really good. You might as well play him 35 minutes a night and Hassan 13. Like that's just, it's just a better plan. Um, I think the lack of production to answer specifically Matthew's question. I, I think the lack of production does make him less desirable to bounce back because this is the concern about him that when, when he's not given this guaranteed big minute role and he's not guaranteed um, to start that maybe his production will, uh, will dwindle a little bit. That said two games is way too early to know, but he's, you know, the signs are pointing that way. Um, he's, he just has had some, he just hasn't looked good. I th- thought he got dominated on the glass by Jonas Valanciunas. I thought he, um, even though he, was in in the game for the part where Damian Lillard made all the three-pointers against the Celtics. I don't think he had a great game there. He had some a couple nice moments, but he also, during that same run, gave up a wide-open bucket to Daniel Thies, or Daniel Thies, kind of helping too much. Hassan just hasn't looked good. So the last question in this segment, or the last question from this group of questions that I read all together, Hamilton says, will Hassan bounce back? I got, I'm going to say yes. I generally think he can play better than this, and he will, and he'll have moments where he plays better than this, but I do think if all of the things that I worry about Hassan Whiteside have showed up in these games, so maybe it's a health thing, maybe it's just a guy who is um, maybe not known as a self-starter and known as someone who cares about individual stats maybe more than he should in a situation where he's not going to get those individual stats and that self-starting is more difficult coming off the bench maybe it just doesn't jive with his style okay next question comes from travis hyde at travis hyde on twitter who asks was mario hazonia's hot start in game one one of the worst things that could happen to the blazers as stats now thinks he deserves minutes might be irrelevant since he didn't play in the second half yesterday against the boston celtics but it made me cringe seeing as the first player off the bench i think you're reading too much into him being first player off the bench that's just the way the rotation works um because it allows the right guy to come out it allows the blazers to take out Carmelo Anthony and then bring him back with the second unit. So like sixth man is kind of meaningless. Gary Trent is the sixth man. He's playing 30 plus minutes a night. Um, He just happens to come off the bench second or third. It's fine. Uh, But I don't think it's that, I don't think it's that big of a deal personally. Um, There's another question in the show that kind of relates to this a little bit. So we'll touch more on that then. But uh, I think he had one good half and then his minutes were limited. I don't think they have a lot of better options. Uh, he wasn't a super negative. He was just, he was pretty bad against the Celtics. Actually, he was a negative. That's why he didn't play in the second half. Um, but I don't think like, I think the decision had already been made before the hot start. So I think the hot start, um, wasn't necessarily the thing that made him continue to play. I think Stotts had made that decision and then Mario maybe backed it up a little bit, but Hazonia is not going to be a big minute guy. So while I hear you because I've made fun of Hazonia a lot, I think he he just does a lot of dumb stuff when he's out there and, and, and tries to do too much constantly. Uh, there's a natural cap on his minutes because of how serious the Blazers are taking these games, and I don't know that they have better options behind him. He's going to play a little bit, and maybe that's fine. It's fine with me. It might not be fine with you. Okay, next question 
comes from Spencer Gordon at Spencer's Dead One on Twitter who asked, Perimeter D has been horrible and it looks like it's fundamentals with everyone not keeping their eyes on the ball and man at the same time, thus slow shifts on passes. I don't know if it can be fixed by just inserting different players. I just think it's practice, but wondering your opinion. It definitely can't be fixed by inserting different players. Who the hell would you insert? Like, I don't mean I'm not attacking you, but um, I'm the Blazers roster doesn't exactly have good defenders on it. Um, certainly the back half of the bench with Wenyan Gabriel, Nazir Little, and Anthony Simons, these aren't high-level defensive players. Um, that That's just not, that's not what they're working with. Uh, I do think that the Blazers' problems is more about personnel than scheme. I know a lot of people have been critical of Terry Stotts, and I do think his drop schemes on defense and what he asked the guards to do, chasing guys over the top of screen sometimes, leads to just giving guys wide-open three-pointers. I think it's just that is part of the scheme um, that if you don't love, that's fine, because I don't always love it too, but I also think it's just... The Blazers don't have a lot of good instinctual defenders, so that's those rotations you're talking about, the help, the helper stuff, where guys um, have to, you know, one guy makes rotation, then you have to rotate behind him, you have to rotate behind him, and, and, and so on and so forth. I just don't think they have a ton of instinctual defenders. Damian Lode, really good on-ball defender, not a great off-ball defender, stuff like that. I think um, there is not a solution on the roster. The Blazers are going to be bad on perimeter until their season is over. Uh, if you were talking about inserting new players, yeah, maybe in the future with better defenders, they would be better on defense. I think that's for real, but not currently on the roster. Okay, next question comes from CJ at Friggin Winning on Twitter, who asks, Nurk has a good stat line since his return, but was minus two against Memphis and minus 13 again against Boston. What's up with that? The only thing up with that is that single game plus minuses are meaningless taken as a whole over the course of a season or the or the course course of half a season maybe 30 or 40 games i think plus minus can tell you something but taken as a whole taken as a single game they don't make sense and also i think you're losing context particularly with these two games the blazers uh and grizzlies game went to overtime and the blazers won by five that means at the end of regulation the blazers as a team had a plus minus of zero so if nurk had a plus minus of minus two that means they scored one other basket well, he was on the court. Also, I think saying was a minus two and was a minus 13 doesn't exactly encapsulate what uh, what plus minus means. I think it's better to say, and this is maybe a semantics thing, but what the Blazers were outscored by two in his minutes against the Grizzlies, and they were outscored by 13 against the Boston Celtics. But here's the thing. The Blazers got their ass whooped in the first half by the Boston Celtics. They were outscored by, they were down 24 points, down 19 at the half. The team was minus 19 after two quarters. That's everybody. That's everyone who wore a jersey. And then the comeback, the way the comeback happened, this is, you need context here. Uh, at the beginning of the third quarter, or fourth quarter, excuse me, with with Hassan Whiteside in the game and Nurk on the bench, Damian Lillard hit a three, then he hit another three, then CJ McCollum hit a three, then Damian Lillard hit a third three. Uh, maybe you think that had something to do with Hassan Whiteside. I think if you watch the game, that had a lot to do with Damian Lillard being awesome, and that 12-point swing, including during that time, Hassan Whiteside gave a wide-open jumper to the man he was guarding, but during that that run where the Blazers made a turned a five-point game into a, to a brief one-point lead, maybe a three-point lead a little bit later, but a one-point lead on, on CJ's three-pointer that I mentioned, uh, Hassan was in the game and Nurk was on the bench. So that there's there's your plus six. There's your plus six for Hassan Whiteside. 
so I guess my point is that uh, with context and if, if I do, I'm like a super big stat nerd, so I'm not like screaming, watch the games. But um, if you watch the games, Hassan was bad and Nurk was good. And the and the single game plus minus stuff just doesn't it doesn't add up to being meaningful um, when we get to the even after eight games in the bubble, they will they won't be meaningful just yet. Um, Nurk has been fantastic and he's minus 15 in the bubble. That that doesn't mean much to doesn't mean much to me. Doesn't mean, maybe means nothing to me, actually. Okay, second segment, we'll come back, answer more of your questions. But before we get there, I want to tell y'all about CBDMD. It doesn't matter if you're a professional athlete, a stay-at-home parent, or you spend eight hours a day in an uncomfortable office chair, everyone needs support to make it through the day. And luckily, our friends at CBDMD have an amazing duo that can help you relax, regroup, and recharge when life gets chaotic. Here's what they got for you. First, it's CBD Freeze with Menthol. It's an award-winning product that offers instant cooling relief for muscles and joints in a convenient and easy-to-use roller or a shareable squeeze tube. And then there's CBD Recover, which combines CBD with inflammation-fighting compounds like Arnica and vitamin B6 to give you the support you need where it matters most. So if you want to get your hands on some of these good CBD remedies, here's what you do. They're making it really easy for you to try this amazing duo of topicals and everything else at CBDMD because they're offering 25% off your next order when you use the promo code NBA at checkout. Once again, that's CBDMD.com and use the promo code NBA for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD oils and products from CBDMD. Let's keep it rolling with more questions on Mailbag Monday. We got a lot, so I'm going to try to tighten it up. It went a little long in the first segment. I got hyped up about uh, Son Whiteside and plus minuses. So uh, we're going to keep, try to keep it a little bit tighter in the second segment. Next question comes from Great Googly Moogly at Gate Googly Moogly on Twitter, who asks, Blazers' best four right now is Dame, Nurk, CJ, Gary Trent Jr., Given they have zero perimeter depth, where are Ant and Nazir Little? Nas can't possibly be worse than Mario. Here's the thing. Uh, I think Nazir Little is a little bit worse than Mario, but he's probably not. It's probably not major, like majorly worse. He's different. Mario Hazonia can dribble. Nazir Little can't dribble. Mario Hazonia probably makes more mistakes than Nazir Little, and he's not as good of an athlete. So it's a trade-off. Um, but I do think Mario's probably a little bit better right now. Nazir Little, I've said this a bunch, has a path to be better. Ant uh, is probably better, but it's just he's just not. He's he can't defend. And Mario Hazonia, if nothing else, is six foot eight. But here's the thing. The solution is not to go to the young guys. It is not to go get two 20-year-olds off the bench. The solution is just less of every dude who is not a starter. And that's the solution, uh, Gary. That's the solution Terry Stotts went to against the Boston Celtics. He played seven dudes in the second half. That's The Blazers have seven players who can contribute. The answer isn't trying to find 8-9-10. The answer is saying, these seven guys, we've got a long way to go, and you're the only dudes who are going to play. So... I think you're right that they might have better in theoretical options than Mario Hazonia, but my thing is don't don't try it. It ain't worth it. Next question comes from Blake Bataro at Ball Don't Lie 77 on Twitter who asks, that Dame dish to Nurk for the quick two was a mistake. We had four different three-point shooters on the floor. Gary Trent Jr. deserved a chance to hit the big shot and tie the game. Thoughts? Um, No. 
<laughs> Damian Lillard is the, was the best player on the floor, and Gary Trent Jr. was awesome, 7 of 11 from deep. But he's not the shot creator that Dame is. Um, Dame just made a mistake. He... he Saw Nurk come wide open, and I think you could you could see it on his face when you watch the replay. As soon as he lets the pass go, this is the very last Blazers full possession against the Celtics, he realized he made a mistake, and he should have just shot it. He should have just pulled up. Marcus Smart slipped. He should have just pulled up. It was a mistake. But no, I don't go to Gary Trent Jr. there. I go to Dame. Dame's the best player on the court. He's the best player on your team. The person who deserves it is the guy who's the best player in franchise history. Gary Trent Jr., awesome, awesome game. He's been the story of the bubble. Talked about him a bunch on on the episode that came out most recently in your feed. But look, no, Dame should have just shot it. Okay, next question. Also comes from Blake Pitaro, who asked, says, despite the loss, the comeback proves the Zers, hate that nickname, but I'll let you do it, are legit and underrated. You're not the only one who shares that opinion, Blake, because Tanner Russ at Tanner Russ 7 on Twitter says, am I being cautiously optimistic about, am I right in being cautiously optimistic about the upcoming six games? Boston had to shoot a historic percentage from three to eke out a win over the Blazers and Nurk looks great. Odds we finish six and two on campus. Okay. Here's what I think. I don't think the Blazers are underrated. I think they are the most, I think they are the team that everyone thinks is good in the bubble. So they may be correctly rated as good and legit who knows? I think the Blazers are way better than they've been all year long right now, and I think they have proven that they are capable of playing with the good teams like they did against the Celtics on Sunday. Uh, I'm not one of those people that says, like, if Dame makes a last-second three, then it proves they're good, and since they didn't, it proves they're bad. Um, getting down 24 proves their problems. Getting all the way back proves their strengths, uh, regardless of outcome of that game. Um, odds... So legit, I guess the answer to your question, legit, they'll prove it. They're legit by if they get to the, the playoffs, right? Like they'll, they'll prove it. Um, they, they, it'll be tough. Odds they finish six and two. Uh, I'm not good at odds. So I'm not, I don't think I could do math, math that quickly, but I think five and three is, is pretty realistic. Although it's, it's going to be hard. They play Houston on Tuesday, then the Nuggets, the Clippers and the Philadelphia 76ers. That's just their next four games off the top of my head. Those are really hard games. Like they don't, it doesn't get easier for them. Um, I, I would have felt good about six and two if they were two and zero right now. I say five and three is pretty likely. Not even pretty likely. Five and three is doable. So odds they finish six and two, not great. But I think you have reason to be optimistic. I think you do. They look good. Nurk looks awesome. Dame's playing really well. CJ had a bad night against the Boston, but he's he he looked really good in game one. So yeah, I think I, they they look better than they have all year. You got reason to reason to believe. Next question comes from Big J at Juicy Moose 3424 on Twitter who asks, what do you think of the Dame CJ, Gary Trent, Mello, Zach Collins, five? Really like what I saw from that group minus the turnovers when the press was on. This question Big J sent right after the Grizzlies game on Friday. I like that group, um, but any group that doesn't include Yusuf Nurkic is not the Blazers' best five. Give me Nurk over Zach in that group. Give me Zach over Mello in that group. Um... I love the Dame CJ Gary Trent wing core. I love Yusuf Nurkic. Those are your four best players. Figure out any any fifth you want. Next question comes from Jonathan at JSAS on Twitter who asks, in general, the Trailblazers look at least fun and at best competitive here in the bubble eight. I'm surprised they're having trouble getting rebounds with the length on the court. Do you expect this to improve as they get used to these rotations? Yeah, I said this after um, one of the early scrimmages that like no one on the team boxes out and I still kind of feel that way. They missed that sort of Robin Lopez character, someone who would go find a body to hit 
on the boards as opposed to going to the rim. Carmelo Anthony, not a great rebounder, despite his reputation as maybe being a good rebounder. Uh, I think Zach has been, he's been out on the perimeter a lot. Same with against uh, the Memphis. They always had a four-man who could really shoot, and even Jonas Valanciunas couldn't shoot. So one of the bigs was pulled out of the paint. Um, I just, I don't think... I don't think either of the guards rebound particularly well. And when you have those seven footers pulled, one of them pulled away from the rim and makes it tough. Um, I am a little surprised the Blazers aren't a better rebounding team. Maybe that will bounce back. Maybe those numbers will get better, but um, so far not so good. And it's a problem they've had all year. I thought they would be, I thought just by virtue of being bigger, it would have fixed itself, but it hasn't. Okay. Third segment. Let's close out the show with more of your questions. But before we do that, I want to tell y'all about my bookie. Say it with me now. Sports are back. And now that they are, it's time to get in the fun with my bookie. My bookie is a home run, a slam dunk, a triple overtime game-winning shot all wrapped into one. You'll love it. And that should be all you need to hear in order to start betting today. My bookie has up-to-the-minute odds and on all your favorite teams. And now that sports are for real back, Major League Baseball, the NBA, MLS... It's time to start playing with my bookie. It's easy. You bet, you win, and they pay. You like the Blazers' chances of making the playoffs? You can bet on that on my bookie. You like them to go further, win the dang NBA title? Get in on it now. My bookie's already accepting bets on all your favorite NBA, NHL, and NFL games. That's right, the NFL season that doesn't exist yet. The good folks and my bookie are already taking bets on it. Get in on the fun. There's never been a better time to start exploring the world of online sports betting. And you can join today and my bookie will match your deposit 100%. Plus, they'll toss in free $10 on a future Major League Baseball wager. All you got to do is enter the promo code Locked on NBA when you're signing up. Remember, at my bookie, the terms are simple. You bet, you win, they pay. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond, you're still listening to Locked On Blazers, and we're still rolling through Mailbag Monday. Let's keep it rolling. This next question comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus on Twitter, who asks, Is there an ending to this season that has a significant effect on how the front office approaches team building next season? Lose every game, not make the play-in, swept in the playoffs, win a round, win it all, or do they write it all off as pandemic-inspired anomaly? Um... I don't, well, they, they've already won one game, so that's out, but I know you sent this to me last week and I missed the question, Rev, so that's my bad. Um, I don't think the getting swept in the playoffs by the Lakers or not making the playoffs at all would would greatly change what they do. That's in part because their core is kind of set. It's going to be Dame and CJ and Gary Trent Jr. and Zach and Nurk and Rodney Hood and Trevor Reza, like they have 11 players that are like almost certainly going to come back. So it's really just what they do on the margins. And so to me, that's whether they want to bring Melo back and whether they want to bring us on Whiteside back. Those are your questions. I mean, that's, that would be the big influences. And I don't think, um, unless, unless Hassan is really, really terrible these next few games and even then that they might write that off as an anomaly because it's such a small sample size and they saw him play 66 other games and that might influence them more uh mellow i think is going to be more about his choice than the blazers choice so really i think most of their plans are already there and that only something drastic like if they win the damn championship like hassan whiteside's coming back right like um 
they'll they'll just run it back if they win the title. But uh, other than that, I kind of think it's already there, and there's very little impact to what this particular experiments could could change their opinion. This next question comes from Folk Punk Polka Funk at O Ludlow on Twitter. I might be I might be putting the emphasis on that Twitter handle wrong, but O Ludlow on Twitter asks, you know what I'm loving? The deep, uncluttered bass lines and sidelines in Orlando. I've argued extensively from removing a row of seats to give players more time, but cream, cash rules everything around me. Cream get the money, dollar dollar bills, y'all. Folk Punk, Polka Funk continues, I'd love to know what you think. Have you noticed a difference in play? I don't think I've noticed a difference in play, but I have noticed that it's a big difference. Uh, I saw a game, the Jazz Lakers game, where Donovan Mitchell ran to save a ball basically right through where the cameras would have been. I saw a game earlier today where Brandon Ingram took a spill for the Pelicans, would have landed on the cameras. Um, I'm in favor of moving those cameras, but just as like a funny aside, like I'm with you, get rid of them, move them back. I don't know about moving rows of seats back, but I think if you cleared that initial baseline, you would have, um, you could get some real safety, maybe widen those little runway areas. You could get some, you could improve safety for players. Um, as a funny aside, though, I once mentioned this to someone who works in Blazer Broadcasting, and uh, they were incredibly pissed at me and unfollowed me on Twitter, and I'm not sure that we have spoken cordially since. So, <laughs> you know, be careful who you mention that to, because if you um, come for someone's job, they might hate you forever. And But I, I'm with you. I'm, that That hasn't changed my opinion. I think you can use some kind of remote cameras that are controlled by people who have the skill of controlling cameras. You know, I'm not saying getting rid of camera people. I'm saying change how they're operated to keep players safe. That's my plan. Um, I'm with you. Folk punk, punk, polka funk. That display name is so challenging that I made myself say it several times. This next question comes from Tam Tarius, the Greek at Tam to Greek on Twitter, who asks who could the Blazers realistically target with the first round pick Ariza and their trade exception to fill their huge gap at the three. Uh, this is hard for me because I'm not exactly sure that Ariza pl- like $12 million of Ariza plus a, a mid round first round pick and a trade exception can get you something really sexy. Like I'm not, I'm not sure that that there just aren't a lot of wings in the league. Um, I was trying to look through and trying to trying to give you a, a realistic one. I think something like Otto Porter, although he makes too much money for that to exactly work. So you'd have to do um, some other, you'd have to throw in some other parts to make the math work there. Um, I think potentially Josh Richardson for the Philadelphia 76ers is a realistic one. I'm not sure that a mid-round first in Trevor Ariza alone gets it done for Richardson. He's really useful. Ariza would be a step back there, but that's, that's like an, an, a name that maybe multiple firsts, or if you throw in an Anthony Simons type, you could probably sweeten the deal and get someone who really helps. Like I think um, just based on your parameters, I think that's the best name I could come up with. But I mean, that's that you've identified their biggest problem. Dame CJ Nurk is a really good core wings who can defend just, just that massive hole at small forward is really their biggest problem. Uh, Maybe they can solve it in free agency with someone like Derek Jones Jr., but there just aren't a lot of good wings in the league, and uh, the Blazers don't have a lot of trade trips to go get one of them. Next question comes from Alan, and man, Alan, it's going to get tough for me after this one, but I'll go with Alan Bourdillon Traherne. At Need to Dump Trump on Twitter, who asks, 
Another disappointing season, what changes are needed? Free agency, drafts, trade, or is the core problem of not taking the leap involve the GM or the coach, or do you give it one more year? Um, we'll answer the coach thing with the next question. Uh, I'm not sure it involves the GM. I think as much as we we're, we make fun of Neil Olshay on this podcast, and I, I certainly do it my fair share, I think he's kind of good at it. Um, he seems to identify second round talent at a pretty high level. He seems to be good at making in-season trades. Um, he's bad at free agency. So maybe just have someone help him out with that. But you know, he, he, he's fine. I think he's an above average GM, maybe even a good one. Um, I don't think he's the problem. Uh, it's hard to improve with what the Blazers need through the draft. Like they're, they're going to be that what they're attempting to do is go from good to great. Uh, and that is a really hard step. They're a good team, a solid team. When healthy, they're a very competitive team in the Western Conference, but that big step is hard. So I think what you do it is you do it through the right trades and you do it through the right free agents. Uh, they have young players that they hope can grow with Gary Trent Jr., Zach Collins, and Anthony Simons, Nazir Little, throw him in there too. So it's at some point, it's it's either cashing in those chips of young, promising players to get the right type of veteran or it's signing the right type of veteran. In general, I don't think there's an easy solution. I think, uh, as was identified by Tamterius the Greek in the previous question, they just need wings. They just need a wing who can help. Uh, Ariza looks like he can help. Rodney Hood, to some extent, can help. Um, he does. They don't exactly answer the sort of elite defender question, but they really push them in the right direction. Uh, to me, I'm I. I would explore trading CJ McCollum if you can get the right trades, but I'd be really, really. Uh, specific in what you get back because you need to get back someone who doesn't crater the offense while maybe answering the defensive questions. So yeah, I guess I guess I'm more conservative and say give it one more year. But the clock's ticking. Damon Lowe's 30 years old. Um, there isn't an easy solution, but you, but there's there's an obvious issue, but there isn't an easy solution. Okay, next question comes from Tam Terry's the Greek at Tam the Greek on Twitter who asks. If Mike D'Antoni becomes a free agent, should the Blazers go try to go for him? Um, I am, I don't know how I feel about this, this, I don't, I know, I know how I feel about this question. I think it's fine. <laughs> it's a good one. Um, but I don't know how I feel about the answer necessarily. I think my Dan Tony in general is a, is probably a better coach than Terry Stotts. Um, I think Stotts is a good coach. I think he's an above average coach in the NBA. Um, he does things that frustrate me. I don't think this was his best coaching year. Um, I think the previous season was maybe one of his better coaching years when he just, I mean, that team was just really good. And then with he had a lot of moving parts at the end of the season. He just got them in the right spot and got them. Everyone got on board and kept going. You know, you add Rodney Hood and it was fine. You add Ennis Cantor and you didn't lose Zach Collins. You know, mentally you kept, you kept guys engaged, kept, you know, got them when you needed them late in the playoffs and things like that. So my thing is, I don't think D'Antoni is enough of a massive upgrade to like push the Blazers over the top. I don't think that's necessarily the issue. Even if he is a, like in general, a better coach, I think he's a, a legend. Um, I've read seven seconds or less made me really appreciate D'Antoni. I think he's really stubborn. If one of the things you don't like about Stotts is that he's stubborn, D'Antoni's like whole thing is like figure out what you do best and just keep doing that no matter what. Um, he's, He's maybe innovative, but he's not like really flexible. He kind of innovates and then you, and that's your pick. So, 
And I think one of the things we're missing here when we talk about this is that Damien Lillard loves loves Terry Stotts, and you don't want to make him mad. So you want to do the thing, or not even mad. You don't want to you don't want to disappoint him with your decision making. You got to make hard choices sometimes. That means maybe not doing every single thing that Dame wants. Um, you know, when he wanted you to trade for Hassan Whiteside, maybe say no. But uh, you. I'm not sure that the D'Antoni thing is enough of a positive to outweigh the 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 cost of upsetting Damian Lillard, and I'm not sure just the on-court product would dramatically increase enough to change this team from like pretty good to championship level. Uh, Mike D'Antoni, you will note, never won an NBA title. Does that make him a bad coach? No, he's a great coach. Um, I just don't think the difference is stark enough. Okay, next question comes from Dalton Schuster at Dalton Schuster Two on Twitter, who asks, "Trade machine." I think Portland desperately needs a 6'8 guy who can defend a bit. Yeah, no shit. Who says no? Ariza, Simons, and a first for Aaron Gordon. Magic have been looking for a PG for years. Logjam for them at Gordon's position as well. Thoughts? I'm not sure Simons is a PG, so I think the Orlando Magic might say no. Uh, I think some, I think the person you have to trade to make a trade like this is Gary Trent Jr. And boy, howdy. I know y'all don't want to trade Gary Trent Jr. after the way he's played, but uh, Ariza. Gary Trent Jr. and a first for Aaron Gordon, I would think long and hard about that. And I might even smash the yes button. In fact, I'm leaning towards yes, because Gordon's, Gordon as a power forward next to Nurk seems like a really, really, really good option for the Blazers. I like that trade, but the trade that you specifically proposed, Dalton, I don't think the Magic are saying yes to that. Trevor Reason is on a trade trip. He's 35. Next question comes from Hamilton from Gmail who says, as of now, the Blazers have beaten the Grizzlies and haven't played the Celtics. They lost to the Celtics, Hamilton. Spoiler. And the Pelicans have lost twice. The Pelicans are now one and two. Spoiler. Do you think we will catch the Grizzlies' collective pronoun first one of the show, or do you think we, the second collective pronoun of the show, will trigger a play-in game or not at all? Um, I think it's very likely the Blazers catch the Grizzlies right now. They, As I'm recording this, they are two games back. I, uh, I waited a little bit later in the day to record this one so we could have firm answers. And the Philadelphia 76ers beat the San Antonio Spurs, so the Blazers are now alone in ninth place. Two games back of Memphis. I think they trigger a playing game. I don't think they. Pa- I don't know if they pass them to get into eighth. Um, Memphis hasn't won yet in Memphis, and they look or in Orlando, and they look like they're a little bit of trouble. But um, I think it's very, very likely the Blazers trigger a playing game with Memphis. Um, yeah, that's that's my call on that one. And the next question comes from CJ at Friggin' Winning, who asks, how much factor did Ennis Cantor, plus 16 yesterday, play in the Blazers' playoff run last year? Nurk was st- statistically really good until his injury. Ennis seemed like not just a replacement center, but the missing spark the Blazers needed. Here's my thing about this question. One, CJ, you are loving, loving, L-O-V-I-N, single game plus minus, it's not for me. <laughs> don't care. Don't care for it. Um, but I think, I guess the question for me, my my question response to your question is, is Ennis Cantor significantly better than Azir Little? Because if he is, then the answer is, yeah, he was the missing spark because he was this piece that could come in and be a starting level center when their, uh, their center went down. He could fill that role. He could play big, tough minutes inside. He was a really good rebounder. And then he could clear the way for Zach Collins to play some backup center minutes. But if, but part of me thinks that Ennis Cantor is like, 
a similar ver- like not at all the same player because he's not he's not the defensive player, not the shot blocker that Hassan Whiteside is. But he's a lot of the same. He has a lot of the same issues as Hassan in terms of like flawed, like like good but flawed type of player. And he was a fantastic fill in. And what the Blazers need more than just like specifically in his canter is that toughness and that spirit. A guy who is willing to take on a backup role and be um, a beast, and when called upon to play big minutes, fill in admirably. I don't think it's Cantor. I think it's the spirit of Cantor. And with that, that's the spirit of Mailbag Monday. Thanks all to ma- who make this one possible. That's those of you who listen, those of you who send in questions, and those of you who tell your friends about this podcast and say you can, they can get it wherever they already get podcasts. We do Mailbag Monday every week. If you want to get involved, tweet at me, Mike G. Rich, at Mike G. Rich, or email me, LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.